0: If I could run, I would run up here this morning. This is a great day, isn't it? Man, this is a, what a marvelous day. I like it a little bit when it's overcast. I like it when it's sunny. But I want to tell you, this is a great day. I'm so glad you're here. This is really going to be a wonderful time in the Word of God. I, uh, this week has been mag- just magical, magical. And so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Now, that's a stupid thing to do. To say before you're going to speak that it's going to be a really a great message. Well, the re- <laughs> the reason I can say that is because it's not mine. Peter, Peter had just had just written the whole idea about salvation. But just when I think Paul is, I can't wait to see Paul. Now I can't wait to see what Peter looks like. Peter is just something else. He, he must have been just a unique, unique, unique man. Uh, such a leader and, and, and gruff, I'm certain. And, and, and rough edges, I'm really certain. But just a tender, gentle man because he's speaking to us about salvation even in the midst of difficulties. Even in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, God's there. And you know, what, what is so unique about our church and about the, about the whole idea of the Word of God being preached in a systematic way so that we, uh, we don't duck or hide from any tough or difficult places in the Word of God. We try to, with all of our heart to attack them. And God would bring into our lives a very practical application of difficulties and triumph in the midst of difficulties. We have, had, as a church, had the privilege of being prayed for by the Renaults and uh, all of the, the prayer team that they've collected together as they pray for us. And they would wish that every single one of us was on that prayer team. That's, they wish that. But th- this, we, have been, we had reversed the tables. The last few weeks, we've been praying for them. Um, their son, Ben, and their daughter-in-law, Jessica, whom I had the privilege of marrying, just... <coughs> One of the best weddings I've ever had the privilege of doing. Um, had the birth of a child that was 25 weeks premature. And, um, and, Je- and, and Reese is her name. And Reese went home to be with the Lord. I told you about that last week. And, and Doug and Kathy wanted to come up and say thank you. And um, they didn't want to just thank us. Uh, they want to thank the Lord. And I, I want you to, if, if it's anything like last night was, I cried. Yeah, but she just had her knee operated on, and yet, um, yeah, she. We, <laughs> Kathy and I we are, are unrunnable <laughs> right now. <laughs> Doug, why don't you take over?
1: Dear church family, our testimony is that God moves heaven and earth on behalf of those who pray. And... Our son and Jessica are his wife. We are just so proud of the way they've handled this, and we know where that strength comes from. And it it came from the Lord, and, and it came from your prayers, and for that we are eternally grateful. And we we just the Lord has wrapped His arms around our family in such a mighty way. It's been amazing. And uh, our daughter and uh, Christiana is pregnant as well. And 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 she was a little bit worried about going to Ben's house. It was really it was it was bothering her because. You know, she didn't want her joy to uh, get in the way of, of of Jessica's, and Jess just wrapped her arms around Christiana and said, Christy, I've got to be part of this too." And so our whole family, Lord, has just just wrapped its arms around one another, and and again, uh, we we just know where that strength comes from. It's from the Lord, and we we just want to let you know that uh, there's we're not the only ones going through these kind of things, and. And if, if you're going through something, please let us pray for you. Come up and, and let the prayer team uh, uh, pray over you and encourage you uh, because God will meet you where you're at. And uh, we, we just uh, we love this church. We thank you for your hugs. We thank you for your encouragement, for your love. Uh, we treasure you. And most of all, we thank you for your prayers. God bless you.
0: You can preach the Word of God and then you can see it lived out. And seeing it lived out is much more dynamic, much more real than any words that any preacher could ever give. Uh, Doug and Kathy have have, uh, have just been an example to us at every level. Um, I could tell you a few things more of what they have done and how much they mean to all of us. Myself, particularly but I won't bore you with that but I will tell you that I love them with all my heart I will forever love them with all my heart and um, I'm honored to be a friend of theirs I'm really honored to be a friend of theirs and uh, I married off all their kids baptized them too and uh, so it's uh, that's one of the joys of being in a church for any length of time is uh, is watching the kids grow up, and then, um, and then, by the grace of God, being a part of their lives, it's it's really um, it's just amazing. And if you don't stop crying, I'm going to cry all the way through this. <laughs> First Peter, please turn with me. I think you're going to marvel at this place in Scripture. Peter is. Um, Peter really is quite amazing. He's talking to us about difficulties, going through trials, and how do you deal with it? And he is t- telling us that we are aliens. This is not our home. Don't don't try to find all your joy. Don't f- try to find all your your fulfillment in this earth. This earth will let us down. Find your joy. Find your fulfillment in Christ. He will never let you down. Uh, and and What's interesting is, you know, it would have been one thing for her and wish we wish we could have Doug and Kathy say, thank you for your prayers and God answered and our baby Reese is doing so well. But actually baby Reese is doing better than well. She's in the arms of our Lord and she is there. And so even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of, of, of trials, there's joy. Not stupid joy, not joy like, oh, yippee. It's a joy that, that comes from inside. So Peter is, is telling us this. And, and then he taught us in verses 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, which we have gone through, the very principles of how we walk our walk with Christ. Look, at, look again with me at verses 13 to 17. I'm not going to read them all in full. I'm just going to remind you. He says in verse 13, gird up your minds for action. In other words, be ready. Be ready keep sober he says in spirit in other words be clear thinking fix your hope he says completely on the grace of Christ be obedient children he tells us don't conform to your former lusts rather rather he says be holy be holy in all in all in all of your behavior because Peter's taught Our Father who is in heaven is holy. Finally, Peter says, Therefore, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges each person's work, then conduct yourself in fear. In other words, be respectful, be in awe, be in love with the the Father who is in heaven while you are here on this earth. In other words, Live an obedient life. Why? 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 Well, Peter answers that question so wonderfully in verses 18 through 21. He gives us four standards that we need to look at so that we can understand what we believe. He wants us to know, what did God redeem us from? What What was the need for redemption? Redemption, by the way, is going to be the key word for this morning. What did He redeem you from? And what did He redeem us with? Who did He use to redeem you and me? For what reason? Why? Which is the crux of what we're going to get to. The very essence of, of the first three are, I think most of you already know. Why? Why? Why did He go to the trouble to redeem you? Why? Hi, guys. Love you both. Two brothers. And just love the Lord and appear to love each other very much. Josh and, tell me your names again. Pardon me? Ben and, and Josh. So great to see you here. Really. Why? What purpose did he redeem you? What was the reason? There's a reason. Find out what it is. One of the greatest joys in, in, in your life will be that time where the light bulb goes off and you understand exactly why it is you walk the face of this earth. What's your reason for living? Good to have one. Good to have a purpose. And so I want you to read with me verses 18 to 21. We're kind of jumping on in on verse 18, kind of in the middle of a sentence. But I want you to know the first word. It says, knowing... Knowing. What Peter is saying, I'm going to read it in a moment. I want you to think about it. He says, you already know what I'm going to tell you. You know what I'm going to tell you. You innately know how you are to live. No one needs to tell you. You innately know. But Peter's going to tell us what we're to do. He says, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. You who... Through him are believers in God. God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Ah, gosh. Come on, Peter. That is awesome. But you know you realize Peter didn't really write it all. Peter just inscribed what the Lord God had him to write so that you and I would understand why we are alive. Why we draw breath. Why we have... You know, for all the people that are, I think you and I are just fools for coming to church, just foolish. I mean, you, what a waste of an, uh, a couple hours. What's it all about? I mean, who wrote this, and, and, and how do you know it's all true? And all of those questions that people have that think you and I are fools. But in the book of Proverbs, the Lord God says, The fool is the one who says in his heart, There is no God. You're not a fool. You're really only a fool if you hear what he says to you and don't obey. That's foolish. That's just foolish. Father, we want to thank you for the Renault family. For Ben and for Jessica, and Father, for little baby Reese. We can't wait to see her one day in heaven. Um, for the rest of the family, for Christina and and the baby inside of her, and Father, for uh, Doug and Kathy. Well, thank you, Father, for their faithfulness to you. We see a, a real clear display of Christ in us. We're honored to have them a part of this church. Lord, now would you please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. Would you please move me aside so that I do not interfere with what Peter so beautifully wrote many years ago. Yes, he took it from your, your heart, your thoughts, so that we would understand and know you more and know why we believe and in whom we believe and that what we believe in is so true, is so rock-solid true. Thanks for Peter. Um, Father, would you bless us now as we study your word? What a privilege. What a beautiful, beautiful day. Gosh, Father, thanks for the joy of our salvation. In precious, Jesus' precious name I say thank you. Amen. Well, I guess I want to start with where is your belief and your hopes? Where is your dreams? If it isn't in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then, then it is absolutely worthless. It's, it's of no value. Now, I want to say that up front and, and show you what Peter tells us going into this message. Long ago, a Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson wrote these words. He wrote these words about the importance of redemption. This, this whole package right here in, in verses 13 to 21 is all about redemption. He said the, the importance of redemption is this. Great, great, great was the work of creation. But greater, he wrote, was the work of Redemption. Think about it. It cost our Lord God Almighty much more to redeem you and me than it did to create this whole universe. In creation, it, we are told that God but spoke His Word and everything came into being. But in redemption, oh, redemption took the shedding of of the blood of His Son for our forgiveness. Great was the work of creation. Greater is the work of yours and my redemption. Our Lord Jesus Christ's amazing sacrificial suffering for each and every one of us that would trust and believe in Him. So let's take a look at the word redeemed. Redeem is the key word. It it is essential to your and my salvation. It deals specifically with the cost. Redeem deals with the cost of your and my salvation by the means of God's payment for the forgiveness of yours and my sin. Because, well, we've already learned in Romans that all of us are helpless. It says that all of us have sinned in Romans 3.23 and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's true for every single person here in church and out of church that would never step foot in a church. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So to be forgiven and to be reconciled, God chose to purchase you and me back to Himself by paying a price for our condition, which was sin. And only when that payment is made, and only when that payment is accepted, accepted, can He then release anyone from the bondage of sin. In other words, God is the one who accepts the payment or not. And God has already placed the ideal payment, the only payment for sin, and that is the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The term for redeemed is L-U-T-R-O-O in the Greek. It means to purchase a release by paying a price, a ransom. In Galatians 3.13, we are told that Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us because it says, cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. I want you to see where this all began. I want you to kind of pull this in a little bit. Turn to Exodus. Genesis. First book in the Bible is Genesis. The next one in is Exodus. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. It all began at what was called Passover. A price. A redemption. Had to be paid when the Lord God said to Moses and Aaron and to the people of Israel that I am going to take you out of your bondage by paying a price. Exodus chapter 12. I want you to read with me, please. It's a little bit. It's, uh, we're going to go to about verse 13. It said, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, There, there the Jews were in, in captivity. This month, the Lord said to Aaron and Moses, shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the tenth of this month, they are each one, note that, each one of them are to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now he gives a provision in verse 4. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of that same month. Then, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Oh my gosh, where would Peter be? You can't do that, they would say to God Almighty. You can't kill an animal. Moreover, he says, I don't think he would even answer them. Moreover, he says, they shall take some of its blood... And they should put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the house in which they eat. In other words, every family, by the way, it's not just the Israelites. Any and every family that wanted to follow this could get a lamb, could take that lamb, could sacrifice that lamb, take the blood of that lamb, put it on its doorpost, and what was called the angel of death would pass over that house and that household. So it wasn't just for the Israelites. It was for anyone. Blood was the payment to be made in full. Then it says in verse 8, They are, eat, they are to eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw. or Don't boil it at all with water. But rather, roasted it with fire. Both its heads its head, its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over till morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner. Eat it with your loins girded. Eat it with sandals on your feet. Eat it with the staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste, because it is the Lord's Passover For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live and where I see the blood I will pass over you with no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's the first payment that was made. The blood of a lamb. It was unblemished. It was a male, a year old. It was taken in sacrifice and the blood was shed. You know, that's a very gruesome, very gruesome story. Really, to think of of, of sacrificing an animal, an innocent animal. But I think it was for a purpose. I think it was to show the people how how terrible God looked upon sin and so that they would they would see the, the the travesty of what they did there in that little innocent animal that had to shed its blood for the forgiveness of their sin our sin it become much more monumental when jesus christ came to this earth when he perfect unblemished man gave his life his shed his blood for you and me wow the lamb's life and the lamb's blood placed on the doorpost was the price that was required to spare the family's firstborn. Simply put, it was a statement of obedience. That's what it was. I mean, think about it. What would you think? I mean, you mean to say but something's going to pass over my house just because I put blood on it? I don't believe that. The price was to be paid through the blood of a lamb and that family would be redeemed because of the blood. It was a divinely oriented or ordained, excuse me, divinely ordained illustration of a very innocent substitute to redeemed people who are in bondage, which of course, leads us to the person of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for every single one of us who believe in him. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. When Christ appeared, it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, He appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. He entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not one that was made with hands, not of this creation. No, it was in verse 12. It was not through the blood of goats nor calves, but through His own blood, Jesus Christ entered into the holy place once and for all, having obtained, listen, having obtained eternal, eternal redemption. Your sins are forgiven. Well, First Peter, if you turn back with me there to verses 18 to 21, talks of this great redemption for every single one of us who believes in Christ. And he maybe answers questions that we might have concerning this whole issue of salvation through Jesus Christ. Maybe some family members of yours, maybe someone that you know wants to ask some questions about what is this thing that you call faith? And Peter wants to answer. Peter wants you and me to be equipped to understand what did God redeem us from? What did God redeem us with? Who did God use to redeem us? And for what reason? Let's take a look at the first one. Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. You see, our Lord redeemed us from our futile way of life inherited from our forefathers. The word knowing there is really key we know better. It, it takes me back. As a matter of fact, it's not in my... I didn't ask the guys to put this on because I thought about it late last night. Oh, well, I thought about it actually during the message. And, and I thought about when we read in Romans how, how, how Paul taught... Everybody in Romans in Romans chapter one and verse eighteen, Paul says, "The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Listen to verse nineteen because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them, and so when he says here in first Peter verse eighteen, you know innately we know." that we are sinners. We know this. Scripture, though, makes it clear that everyone is once in bondage to sin and only Christ's payment, only the redemption given by Jesus Christ can break that bondage and sin in your life. Romans six six says knowing this that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. He wants to take that away from us. Oh it's an ongoing battle. We're all sinners, but it is a it is a worthy fight if you wish to fight and get rid of sin that has entrapped you. Sin that is is kind of a pattern in your life. It is a worthy battle to undo it. You have been crucified with Christ. Don't forget that. You no longer have a body of sin. You now are no longer to be slave to that. Thank God for His payment, His redemption. Bear with me while I read a few other verses. It's, it's, I want you to hear about redemption. I want you to think it through. it'll be up on the board and write it down because I'm going to go through it a little bit quickly. Galatians, we already read, 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Christ we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our sin, our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, His unmerited favor. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says this, God Almighty rescued us from the domain of darkness, and He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Let me read that again. God rescued you and me from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom, in Jesus, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 He gave Himself to us to redeem us, Jesus did. To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. Zealous for, this is a key of why He redeemed us, zealous for good deeds. Wanting to do favor unto the Lord. Wanting to serve the Lord with our lives. How? I don't know. I don't know. I know how I'm supposed to. At least I have a, a, a clue. But from day to day, it can change. Why? Why did our Lord redeem us? For good deeds. Okay. So, we've been saved from sin. What did He use? What did He redeem us with? Well, it says in verse 19, with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Psalms 49, verse 7 and 8 reads like this. Listen closely. No person by any means can redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly. You know what what Psalms 49, verse 7 is saying? there is no other payment you can't muster up a way to make make god happy with you or your family members or your brother your sister your husband your wife your kids everybody has to do it on their own the redemption of their soul is costly and you should try to you should now ne- you should cease trying forever you can't do it only god can do it indeed the price of your soul is costly. And in verse 18, Peter appeals to our basic knowledge, knowing, emphasizes that we innately know that we were not redeemed with with metals like gold or silver or something of this earth. No, we were redeemed from our sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to this great verse in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. It says, "Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of this earth. To him who loves us, released us from our sin by his blood." It can't be more clear. Can't be more clear. The blood. This is what God has freed us from, our sin. And this is what God has used to free us, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's very costly. So then who did He use to redeem us and for what reason? Verses 20 and 21. It says He was foreknown, talking about Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times For the sake of you. In other words, for your sake. He has come to this earth for the sake of mankind. For your sake he came to this earth. For your sake he decided to go to the cross. And that was established before the foundations of this earth. It wasn't saying, oh God said, what will I do? No, the plan was all set before he even made all of this. That his son would come to this earth and die for yours and my sin. Verse 21, through him are believers in God, who raised him, God, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Let's take a look at the first one. Who did he use? Well, without question, you already know it's Jesus Christ. If you come to this church at all, we are Fundamentally, believers in Jesus Christ. We're not a religion. We're not a denomination. We're a group of people who believe the inerrancy of the Scripture and we believe that Jesus Christ is our only answer, our only cure. And so, the the word foreknown is a huge Greek word. It's p r o e g n o s m e n o u. It literally means that God planned long before this whole. Creation was, was established to send His Son as the Redeemer, the Savior, before the foundation of this earth. There's no other plan. There's, there's no other way. There's only Christ. Before anything else, Jesus Christ was God's plan to take away the sin of this world. That's why I wished I could have been there. I wished that I could have heard that John the Baptist, who was there in the wilderness, and he saw in the distance Jesus Christ walking towards him. And what did he say to the people? John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of this world. Now, I don't think I would have been able to comprehend what he said at that time. But I would have loved to have seen that moment. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. The who, of course, is Jesus Christ. Why? Why? What reason? Why were you redeemed? Why is it so important that God loved you so much... That He sacrificed His Son. Who amongst us would sacrifice our son right now? Those of us that have children, son or daughter. Who of us would sacrifice our son or our daughter for another person? Not a one of us. Not me. Not me. I might. If something had to be done, I'd do it in their place. But I wouldn't sacrifice my son nor my daughter. They're way too valuable. And yet God sacrificed His only begotten Son that whoever of us would believe in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. For what reason? Why are you so doggone valuable? Why am I of any value? Redemption in Christ alone tells us in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. There's salvation in no one else. Acts four twelve. There's no other name under heaven that has been given amongst men by which you and I must be saved. There's no other way. Some people like to think there are, but there isn't. Peter marks clearly the the exclusivity of the gospel as the only way to redemption. What Peter is saying, please hear this, he is boldly preaching, Peter, that a person cannot... Be a believer in God apart from the knowledge of the death, the resurrection, and the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. Lordship is key. None of us have the right to say to our Lord, no. No. We don't have that. If He is our Lord, we are only to say, yes, Lord. In fact, anyone who does not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot know God at all. Now, I know that seems like a harsh statement, but I want to back it up. No, John does. John wants to say in First John, chapter 2. I'm going to let you turn to this. First John, chapter 2, verse 20. I want you to see it for yourself. For those that, and I know there are some that are fairly liberal in, in this whole idea of Christianity, thinking, you know, there's there's got to be many ways to God. No, there isn't. There's only one way to God. And he established that way before the foundation of this world. And it's not changed. We don't catch him off guard by thinking, well, there's so many religions now. Surely God loves all of those other ways. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. It says in John chapter 2 verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. In other words, you know, just like he said in verse 18 here and just like he said in verse 19 in Romans chapter 1, you know because God made it evident to you. John writes in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. So he then says, who is the liar? Well, it's the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, you might want to mark it. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Wait, that's got to be a misprint. What about all those wonderful churches that are opening their doors and saying there's, there's myriads of ways to God? if you just don't trust in Christ I mean I even heard Robert Shuler was it the the crystal what cathedral I heard him say one time there are many ways to God there are Robert really really what Bible are you reading out of many ways to God I've heard others that if, if I told you their names would blow your mind Guys that are established churches in this our community that say, Oh, there's many ways to God. No, there's not. No, there is not. Because the Bible doesn't lie. Whoever, verse 23, denies Jesus Christ does not have the Father. And the one who confesses Jesus Christ has the Father. How simple is it? I mean, even I can understand that. Cheated my way through college. I didn't really, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Little this, little of that. <laughs> don't you laugh at me, Jeff Ochoa? Don't you laugh at me? Verse twenty-four: As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Look, I'm not lying to you, and I'm not trying to make it hardcore. I'm just telling you what the Bible tells you. Place your faith and trust in Christ and He alone and don 't deny it verse twenty one ends in First Peter by talking about faith and hope. Let me just wrap this up into a little bit of a bow right now. Faith enables a believer to trust in God in the midst of life 's present circumstances it's a, it, it could be a, a life verse for the renaults faith faith, faith in God. It allows you to deal with your present circumstances. Philippians, Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Hope, on the other hand, hope enables belief in our future grace. It's not talking about right now. Faith is right now. Hope is in the future. It's to be revealed in, 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 in time coming. It says in Romans 8.25, If we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Glory. Yeah, yeah, glory is right. God bless you. Alvin, come up here. End us in prayer. No? Close us in prayer. God bless you. I love you so much.
1: Would you pray for us? Sure. Father God, we thank you for this glorious day that you created before the foundations of the world, Father. Amen. We thank you for the precious blood of your Son, Jesus, Amen. Father, that it redeemed us back to you, Father. Amen. We ask that you be with us as we leave this place, Father, and return us next week. We pray this in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen.